Section 31 of The Obscure Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 2, Chapter 16. How the Soul Journeys Securely When in Darkness. In Darkness and Security. The darkness of which the soul here speaks relates, as I have said, to the desires, and to the interior, sensitive, and spiritual powers which are all to be deprived of their natural light in this night, so that, being purified herein, they may be supernaturally enlightened. The sensitive and spiritual desires are lulled to sleep and mortified, unable to relish anything either human or divine. The affections are thwarted and brought low, incapable of excitement and having nothing to rest upon. The imagination is fettered and unable to make any profitable reflections. The memory is gone, the intellect is obscured, and the will, too, is dry and afflicted, and all the faculties are empty. And, moreover, a dense and heavy cloud overshadows the wearied soul, and alienates it, as it were, from God. This is the obscurity in which the soul says that it travels securely. The cause of this security is evident. For usually the soul never errs, except under the influence of its desires, or tastes, or reflections, or understanding, or affections, wherein it generally is overabundant, or defective, changeable, or inconsistent. Hence the inclination to what is not becoming it. It is therefore clear that the soul is secure against error therein, when all these operations and movements have ceased. The soul is then delivered, not only from itself, but also from its other enemies, the world and the devil, who, when the affections and operations of the soul have ceased, cannot assault it by any other way or by any other means. It follows from this that the greater the darkness and emptiness of its natural operations in which the soul travels, the greater is its security. For, as the prophet saith, Perdition is thine own, O Israel, only in me is thy help. The perdition of the soul is exclusively its own work, the result of its own operations, of its unsubdued desires, interior and sensitive, and its good the work of God only. When the soul is hindered from giving way to these evils, the blessings of the divine union descend upon it forthwith, in its desires and faculties, which that union will render heavenly and divine. If, therefore, when this obscurity lasts, the soul will look within, it will see how slightly the desires and the faculties have been diverted toward vain and unprofitable matters, and that it is secure against vainglory, pride and presumption, empty rejoicing, and many other evils. It is quite clear, therefore, that the soul which is in this obscurity is not only not lost, but that it gains much, for it acquires virtue. But here a question arises to this effect. Why is it, seeing that the things of God are profitable and beneficial to the soul, and a source of security, that the desires and faculties are so obscured by him in this night that they cannot enjoy him or occupy themselves with him as with other things, but are, in a certain sense, less able to do so? To this I reply that it is then very necessary for the soul to be clear of its own operations and devoid of all pleasure even in spiritual things, because its faculties and desires are base and impure, 
and even if they have pleasure in, and are familiar with, divine and supernatural beings, it can be only in a low way. It is a philosophical axiom that all that is received is received according to the condition of the recipient. From this principle it follows that the natural faculties, being without the requisite purity, strength, and capacity for the reception and fruition of divine things in their way, which is divine, but only in their own, which is mean and vile, ought to be obscured with regard to the divine way, so as to secure their perfect purgation. They are to be weaned, purified, and annihilated first, in order that they may lose their own low mode of acting and receiving, and that they may be thus disposed and tempered for the reception and fruition of what is divine in a lofty and sublime way. But this they can never do if the old man do not die first. Every spiritual gift, if it cometh not down from the Father of lights into the human will and desire, however much a man may exercise his taste, desire, and faculties about God, and however much he may seem to succeed, is still not divinely nor perfectly enjoyed. As to this I might here show, were this the proper place to do so, that there are many whose tastes and affections, and the operations of those faculties, are directed to God and to spiritual things, who perhaps imagine all this to be supernatural and spiritual, when in reality it is nothing more, perhaps, than mere natural and human acts and desires. As they regard ordinary matters, so also do they regard good things, with a certain natural facility, which they have in directing their faculties and desires to anything, whatever it may be. If I can find an opportunity in the course of this discussion, I propose to enter upon this question and describe some of the signs by which we may know when the motives and interior acts of the soul in the things of God are natural only, when they are spiritual only, and when they are natural and spiritual together. It is enough for us to know that the interior acts and movements of the soul, if they are to be divinely influenced by God, must be first of all lulled to sleep, obscured and subdued in their natural state, so far as their capacity and operations are concerned, until they lose all their strength. O spiritual soul, when thou seest thy desire obscured, thy will arid and constrained, and thy faculties incapable of any interior act, be not grieved at this, but look upon it rather as a great good, for God is delivering thee from thyself, taking the matter out of thy hands, for however strenuously thou mayest exert thyself, thou wilt not do anything so faultlessly, perfectly, and securely as now, because of the impurity and torpor of thy faculties, when God takes thee by the hand, guides thee safely in thy blindness, along a road into an end thou knowest not, and whither thou couldst never travel, guided by thine own eyes, and supported by thy own feet. The reason why the soul not only travels securely when in obscurity, but also makes greater progress is this. In general the soul makes greater progress in the spiritual life when it least thinks so, yea, when it rather imagines that it is losing everything. Having never before experienced the present novelty which dazzles it and disturbs its former habits, it considers itself as losing rather than as gaining ground, when it sees itself lost in what it once knew and in which it delighted, travelling by a road it knows not and in which it has no pleasure. 
as a traveller into strange countries goes by ways strange and untried relying on information derived from others and not upon any knowledge of his own it is clear that he will never visit a new country but by new ways which he knows not and by abandoning those he knew so the soul when it advances in spiritual life travels in obscurity not knowing the way god himself being the guide of the soul in its blindness it may well exult and say in darkness and security as soon as it has penetrated the mystery of its state there is another reason also why the soul has travelled safely in this obscurity it has suffered for the way of suffering is safer and also more profitable than that of rejoicing and of action in suffering god gives strength but in action and enjoyment the soul does nothing but show its own weakness and imperfections and in suffering too the soul practices and acquires virtue and becomes pure wiser and more cautious there is another more particular reason why a soul travels securely when in obscurity this reason is derived from the consideration of the light itself or obscure wisdom the obscure night of contemplation so absorbs the soul and brings it so near unto god as to defend it and deliver it from all that is not god for the soul is now as it were under medical treatment for the recovery of its health which is god god compels it to observe a particular diet and to abstain from all noxious things the very appetite for them being subdued the soul is treated like a sick man respected by his household who is carefully tended that the air shall not touch him nor the light shine upon him whom the noise of footsteps and the tumult of servants shall not disturb and to whom the most delicate food is given most cautiously by measure and that nutritious rather than savoury obscure contemplation which brings the soul so near unto god is the origin of all these measures and they are all measures of security to guard the soul for in truth the nearer the soul is to god the more obscure the darkness and the more profound the obscurity because of the soul's weakness the nearer a man reaches to the sun the greater the darkness and suffering its light occasions because of the weakness and impureness of his vision so great is the spiritual light of god surpassing all understanding that the nearer we approach it the more does it blind us this is the meaning of those words of the psalmist he made darkness the covert the pavilion round about him dark clouds in the clouds of the air which is obscure contemplation and the divine wisdom in souls of which they have experience as of a thing near to the pavilion where he dwells when god brings them near to himself thus what in god is light and supreme splendor is to man obscure darkness as saint paul saith as the royal prophet explains in the same place at the brightness that was before him the clouds passed that is over the human intellect the light of which saith the prophet is darkened with the mist thereof o wretched condition of this life wherein the truth is so hardly known that which is most clear and true is to us most obscure and doubtful and we avoid it though it is most necessary for us that which shines the most and dazzles our eyes that we embrace and follow through though it is the most hurtful to us and makes us stumble at every step in what fear and danger then must man be living seeing that the very light of his natural eyes 
by which he directs his steps, is the very first to bewilder and deceive him when he would draw near unto God. If he wishes to be sure of the road he travels on, he must close his eyes and walk in the obscurity. If he is to journey in safety from his domestic foes, his own senses and faculties. Well hidden and protected, then, is the soul in the dark waters close to God. For as the dark waters are a pavilion for him, so they are also to the soul perfect safety and protection, though in darkness, where it is hidden and protected from itself, and from all the injuries which created things may inflict. It is of souls thus protected that the psalmist spoke when he said, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy face, from the disturbance of men. Thou shalt protect them in thy tabernacle from the contradiction of tongues. These words comprehend all kinds of protection. For to be hidden in the secret of the face of God, from the disturbance of men, is to be strengthened in the obscure contemplation against all the assaults of men. To be protected in this tabernacle from the contradiction of tongues is to be engulfed in the dark water. That soul, therefore, whose desires and affections are weaned, and whose faculties are in darkness, is set free from all the imperfections which war against the spirit, whether they proceed from the flesh or from any other created thing. Such a soul may well say, in darkness and security. Another reason, not less conclusive, why the soul, though in darkness, proceeds securely, is derived from that courage which it acquires as soon as it enters within the dark, painful, and obscure water of God. Though it be dark, still it is water, and therefore cannot but refresh and invigorate the soul in all that is most necessary for it, though it does so painfully and in obscurity. For the soul immediately discerns in itself a certain courage and resolution to do nothing which it knows to be displeasing unto God and to leave nothing undone which ministers to his service, because this obscure love is so intensely vigilant and careful of what it is to do, and what it is to leave undone, for his sake, so as to please him. It looks around and considers in a thousand ways whether it has done anything to offend him, and all this with much more solicitude and carefulness than it ever did before, as I said when speaking of this anxious love. Here all the desires, all the strength, and all the powers of the soul, recollected from all besides, direct all their efforts and all their energies to the service of God only. Thus the soul goes forth out of itself, away from all created things, to the sweet and delightsome union of the love of God in darkness and security. End of section 31